Blog Talk Radio. Marcia Joyner, host of Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with our producer, Marty Oakley. Thank you for joining us this evening. I want to go over some brief information on what hospice was supposed to be, what many hospice sites say it is, and what the truth is. In 1967, Dame Cicely Saunders started hospice to minimize pain for the actively dying. Those words are very important, minimize and actively, and you will see nothing is further from the truth today. One site states hospice care is for terminally ill people who have stopped treatment and expect to die in less than six months. Let me stop here. Terminally ill who have stopped treatment. Most people don't just stop treatment and go into hospice but a doctor or hospice convinces them that this is their last resort and that it's free. And then they, hospice staff, stop treatments and medications, as you will hear again tonight. Their second sentence, professional health care providers offer end-of-life services to prepare people and their families for death. Hospice does not prepare anyone for a loved one's death. They orchestrate the death with toxic drugs, and if you dare to ask why your loved one has suddenly took a turn for the worse, they were talking and eating the day before, they give you a booklet, something like Gone But Not Forgotten, that lists the signs of dying which happen to be identical to the signs of their overdose that your loved one is now experiencing. So the family accepts, my loved one must be dying, just like this book said, It is their plan to manipulate you into accepting what is happening. Much like the tail of the frog in tap water that is gradually heated until he dies because he doesn't suspect what is happening. Another site says two doctors must certify that the patient has a life-altering condition with a life expectancy of less than six months. Okay, I'm not aware of any people that I've spoken with that say two doctors confirm their loved one needed hospice. Most don't even see the doctor and are often signed up with a doctor's signature who never assess them. Another comment they say, working together with the family and the primary doctor, the team adds an extra layer of care for the patient. This happens to be from the facility that our guest will talk about tonight as well as other people have been told that hospice works with their primary care doctor, and that is another falsehood. Many guests have shared that the primary doctor didn't even know the patient was enrolled, and the doctor later stated that the individual wasn't at death's door. They say many patients who could benefit from hospice don't receive it or don't enroll until the end of their life, missing out on benefits. Further, 
They make the patient as comfortable as possible until the end. What benefits? A shower, a nurse who drugs you, the benefit of dying sooner, and as comfortable as possible. You mean drugged into a coma until you die from the drugs, starvation, and dehydration? And they say hospice care is a philosophy of treatment focused on caring, not curing, and their goal is to help patients get the best quality of life in their time remaining. True, they don't focus on curing, but I wouldn't use the word caring from what I've experienced and and hear all the time. Stopping one's medication for their illness is not caring, and neither is lying to the patient and the family. And they are seriously falling in providing the best quality of life for the patient or the family. What quality is there to being drugged so you can't communicate with your loved ones, eat or drink, and you die sooner? Tonight, you will hear the most insensitive comment a doctor made about Mary. They say hospice care is specifically designed around the patient's needs and wishes, following a patient's choices regarding their end of life. This is a bold-faced lie, for it is not based around a patient's needs or their wishes. The patient didn't go to someone and say, I want to be euthanized, but that is what is happening right in front of us. Further, many, as with my mom, stated she was afraid of morphine and didn't want it, as you heard on last week's program about Joanne Simpson, and you will hear again tonight about Mary Nettles. And when does anyone from hospice ask the patient what they want in regards to end of life? People say, I want to die at home in my sleep. How is taking them out of their home and drugging them, honoring their wishes? or for those who are not tricked into going to a facility or a respite, but they're at home and they are still drugged into a coma and their death hastened. Like Ron Panzer, a hospice nurse whistleblower, shared in his book appropriately titled Stealth Euthanasia, Healthcare Tyranny. It's done right in front of us, but we don't suspect because we're taught to to trust hospice. His book can be downloaded for free. We don't need medical aid in dying or legalizing euthanasia in more states because hospice is doing it daily without consent or knowledge. They just don't call it that. And here's a really good one. Studies have shown that hospice care can significantly lower hospitalization rates. ICU admissions, and the number of invasive procedures performed at the end of life. Aha. And here we have it. Finally, a totally honest omission. The real reason behind all of this, always follow the money. It isn't about humanity or taking care of people. And look, I'm aware that I am jaded from my experience and from listening to hundreds of people talk about what happened to them. But the reality is, people would live longer without hospice intervention. And I used to say not all hospices are bad, but I swear I'm beginning to believe basically they all are. I personally will never let hospice near me or my family again. But if you happen to, under your circumstances, and you don't feel like you have another choice, then what I say is to lock that comfort kit up in several bags, tape it up, put it in rubber bands, put it in the bottom of the refrigerator, and refuse to let nurses drug your loved ones. In some cases, when someone is really in pain and they need a minimal dose for pain, 
there are four drugs for pain that are less potent than morphine, hydrocodone, codeine, meripidine, and tramadol. Isn't it worth seeing if a milder pain medication will work? And if a person is sleeping, not exhibiting pain, or says they aren't in pain, or they don't want that drug you gave them before, then respect their wishes and don't give it to them. And I would err on the side of caution and give a smaller dose and less often. But I'm not a doctor. I just believe in researching and asking questions. And if something doesn't look right, don't ignore red flags. Trust your gut. A couple of valuable resources as I do each program, and then I'll introduce our guest. How about a book that hospice doesn't want you to read? Michelle Young-Dewers, a former hospice respiratory therapist, wrote Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice, which exposes what happens inside hospice doors, enrollment quotas, promises made but not kept, and real-life tragic stories about what happens when you trust without verifying. Halovoice.org is a pro-life site with a mission to protect the medically vulnerable. They have a hotline, 888-221-4256, if you have questions or concerns. And if you are aware of what's going on and you want to volunteer, they are always looking for someone to help. Euthanasia Prevention Coalition is another excellent resource. LifeLegalDefenseFoundation.org has access to pro-life attorneys in most states. And there is a Facebook group, Murdered by Hospice, which is a group of people that have experienced hospice betrayal firsthand. Always remember, knowledge is power. Do your own research. A couple of weeks ago, Deborah Williams shared with us a story about her in-laws that went to this beautiful respite care facility, never to return home. My mom was tricked into going to a respite care facility in Georgia for just a few days. They immediately drugged her into a coma, and she never made it home. So this topic is very personal to me. Tonight, our guest speakers are members of Murder by Hospice, Kim Beeston and Terry Slapp from the state of Washington. They, too, experienced this so-called compassionate hospice care, which wound up being toxic care of their mother, Mary Nettles. Mary was only 75, and you will hear tonight that she was ill and she had some challenges, but that did not give hospice the right to drug her into a coma and take away her right to live. She didn't ask to be euthanized, but she was on January the 12th, 2021, right in front of her daughters and granddaughters. They were told she could visit the respite care facility for up to five five days, which would be a spa-like experience where they would cater to Mary. They would paint her fingernails and toenails. They had beautiful gardens and a solarium. This would give Kim and Terry time to set up additional support to care for her at home, but that never occurred. From the day one that she went there, someone always had to stay with Mary because she took an immediate turn for the worse. Please join me in welcoming Kim and Terry to the program. Ladies, again, I am so sorry for what happened to your mom. She certainly deserved better treatment than what she got. And I'll turn it over to you, both of you, to tell your story. Thank you, Marcia. Yes, thank you very much. You're welcome. And if you'll identify who's speaking as you talk. Okay. 
Okay, so my name is Kim, and I was my mother's main caregiver, and I had been her caregiver for quite a few years at this point. And um, she went into the hospital in November around Thanksgiving. She had stage 4 COPD. She had congestive heart failure, and she was type 2 diabetic. And um, she was in the hospital for probably a week, maybe, and um, the doctor called and said, had said, um, we're, we want to, I think it's time to put your mom on hospice. And I was in shock, you know, I was like, what? And mom said, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's time. So I talked to her in length before she got released because, mind you, this is during COVID. And um, I couldn't go see her. Terry couldn't go see her. You know, neither one of us could be there with her. And um, we were kind of in shock. And so... She got home around the 29th of November, and she, um, let's see, what was December 3rd, and this nurse came out from hospice, and immediately she took all my mom's medications away that would keep her alive, like her blood pressure pills, her water pills, her, you know, everything, her steroids, everything for her, except for her oxygen. That's the only thing that she was allowing her to have at this point. Immediately went from she was taking hydrocodone because she had a a small injury due to some coughing she was doing. And so this nurse had taken that away and immediately started giving her morphine. Well, my mom at, at home was able to say, hey, this is all I want. I only want five milligrams of morphine. And this nurse was like, okay, well, if you want more, you can have more. And th- and this woman, mind you, didn't really have a warm bedside manner. She was m- very matter-of-fact. She was very um, – I believe that there's people that they, they get too used to their job, and I think just somebody else, you know, in the line for hospice is, you know, that's in this position – um, I think it's just another number to her at this, you know, I, I, I believe that, yes. but she um, was never really, really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? She was never real caring. She was never real compassionate about this. It was just matter of fact. And, you know, she basically had said, well, you know, you're, you know, she's, she's going to die. Okay. Well, she might be going to die, but she wasn't ready to die right then at that moment. She still had a lot of life in there. She was still eating. She's still, you know, she's still um, doing her thing. Walking herself to the bathroom. Yeah, doing all of these things, Mm -hmm. you know, and they took, you know, I I remember Angie coming and her saying one day, because I said, Mom, you got to drink your water. Make sure you drink your water. And she, Angie says, this nurse Angie, she says, well, you don't, I said, we're not worried about that anymore. That's what she said. We're not worried about her drinking water anymore, like that. Mm. And I remember looking at my sister and looking at my mother and looking at her and thinking, why aren't we worried about her drinking water? Don't, don't we want to keep her alive? Because she has to have her water. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> later on, mom started 
feeling kind of down and out, and I was just like, you know what? I'm not giving up here. You know, I'm, I put her medications back in her pillbox. I was like, okay, I went and found her steroids. I went and found her blood pressure mills, pills and her water pills and and um, started giving them back to her. Well, mom kind of started doing a little bit better because she was having her medications back. And Angie came in, and she found the pillbox, and she pretty much – was ready to walk out and got upset, highly upset, um, and said that, you know, um, mom had a choice to make. And mom had said, you know, I'm not feeling well. I haven't been feeling well. She goes, I'd like to get some antibiotics. And this nurse, Angie, says, we don't do that. We are not going to prescribe antibiotics. The doctor will not give you antibiotics. And I... Remember thinking, why why won't you give my mother antibiotics? You know, would you rather her suffer from you know bronchitis or have to get pneumonia or you know mm-hmm. something else? She could have an infection in there. You know what what is going on? And and she basically said, well, you know, hospice is end of life care. This is just we are just keeping her comfortable. And I'm like, but she's not on her deathbed at this point. Not even close. She wasn't even close. And she's no. not comfortable. And she's not comfortable, you know, and at this point, you know, mom knows she's not feeling well. She's getting scared, you know. Um, So right before Christmas, we decided, you know, mom had to, and this is all right before Christmas, mind you. And so mom had decided, you know what, I think, I think I want to get off hospice. We talked about it. We called her doctor. Her doctor was like, I will take take her off hospice. That's fine. Angie comes back, Nurse Angie. Nurse Angie says, you know, sits mom down and totally is, I mean, she's, it's like a light switch, right, Terry? Yeah. <laughs> a light switch. Totally, totally compassionate, totally, you know, kind. And, mm-hmm. and she tries to explain to mom with some, some crap about how, and forgive me for my mouth, That's about nice. how she, you know, um, it, you know, hospice does this, this, and this, and it's just end-of-life care. And, you know, Mary, you have stage 4 COPD. And she she just totally manipulated my mom into staying on hospice because at the end of that conversation, mom's like, well, I guess I'll just stay on hospice. Mm-mm-mm. And I remember thinking, what? You know, and by this time, you know, my sister and I, we, we couldn't get her to change her mind by then. It was because Angie, Nurse Angie, had totally changed her mind and manipulated her. And um, so Christmas comes and goes, and she had a beautiful Christmas. We all had a beautiful Christmas with her, which we are all thankful for. And um, But I needed a break, you know, and Terry needed a break. Terry, Terry stepped in to help me out because I needed help, and I could not find a caregiver for her to help me, to relieve me. And I thought, you know, I, I'm getting tired. I have my own house. I'm spending most of my time here. You know, I, I just need a couple of days to figure out a caregiver, get, you know, get her place more set up for her for, for care, actual caregiving, you know, um, of her because she was, it was, it was more involved. And um, so Nurse Angie comes back and she's like, you know, I'm, she was coming twice a week, Mondays and Fridays, I believe. And she comes back and she's like, you know, she goes, why don't we just take her for respite care? She goes, Mary, you would love it. You would absolutely love it there. She's like, it's like a spa treatment. She goes, they'll do your hair, they'll paint your fingernails and your toenails, and 
you know, um, they have a beautiful garden you can go sit in, and and we'll give you massages and and all of these things. And I thought, and you'll have your private chef that will cook any meal for you that you want. Yes, oh, the private chef that will cook. Um, and all these be- wonderful, beautiful things. And so, you know, we talked it over with Mom and Jerry and I and, and Mom. We all thought, you know what, this would be in the best interest, so that way we can find a caregiver. I can have a break. You know, um, Terry can have a break. We can take a deep breath and, you know, get it figured out while she's gone for these five days. She literally walked to the gurney on the 7th of January, and she died the day she was supposed to come home. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. It's okay, sister. Yeah, it's so okay. Sorry. It's it's I'm very so emotional. It is. Because you didn't expect. You thought she was going in for five days and coming out, and that doesn't happen. Mm-mm. Well, she was even nervous that morning before she left. Um, I was packing her bags, and she was very nervous, and I, I said, Mom, why are you nervous? She goes, I don't know. I just can't explain it, and I said, Oh, I said, it'll, you know, I said, it's going to be good for you. You'll have a break from us, you know, because, you know, she always teases us, us girls drove her crazy, but <laughs> that was our relationship. Um, sure. But, and, you know, so I said, don't be nervous, Mom. You're going to, you know, it'll be nice and relaxing for you to just get away and, you know, not have to put up with us. And anyhow, so, you know, she was kind of nervous that morning, and I talked her out of it and said, no, you just go and, you know, it'll be nice for you not knowing that the nice was going to be the end. That that would change immediately. Yes. And it so did. I said, mean, I, I followed. I was an hour behind the ambulance. Um, mind you, we live about 40 minutes from um, from hospice, give or take a few minutes. And I followed in, her in, and I stopped and got Chinese food for her because I promised her. I'm like, Mom, I'll stop and get Chinese food. So, and I'll bring you lunch and get you all settled in, you know, and then I have things I have to do because I need to find this caregiver and I need to go to these offices and try to figure things out. I I just, I need to find things, you know, figure this out so we can make it work. Mm -hmm. And I walked in an hour, my friend and I walked in an hour after my mom had been there and my mom was laying there with her mouth wide open, her eyes were closed, her false teeth kind of hanging out of her mouth. And I walked in. I'm like, "Hey, mom, I brought you some. I brought you your lunch, and I brought bought everything. Your all your favorite stuff." And I couldn't get a response out of her. She's incoherent. I turned around. I set the food down on the tray, and I walked out to the where the charge nurse was desk was, and I said, "What in the hell did you do to my mother?" And she said, "Well, she was in a little bit of pain, and she had a little bit of anxiety, so we went ahead and gave her some medication." And I said, well, how much medication did you give her? And she's like, well, whatever she normally takes. And I said, okay, well, the lorazepam, um, there's another name for it also. Ativan. 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 I said, she doesn't really take the Ativan. I said, um, she had been taking it here and there since she had, you know, been diagnosed, you know, or been put on hospice because, you know, you can't blame her. She's having anxiety. It's scary and with everything going on, but she didn't really take it. I think she took like one half a pill one time and that was it. But they gave her so much medication, she didn't even know I was there. Mm. And she never came out of it that day. 
And that's within like an hour's time of arriving. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So, you know, we, my sister and I are like, okay, well, you know, here's the deal. You know, I, I spoke with this nurse and I said, you know, she's only getting five milligrams of morphine at a time. That's all she wants. And very seldom. Maybe it, once you know, every 12 hours. You know, she'll stretch it for as long as she can because she, she was a caregiver. My mother was a caregiver herself, so she knew. She was a CNA. She knows, you know, what they do in those kind of places. And that's what she kept saying. I know what they do in those kind of places. Mm-hmm. And that nurse, Angie, had, you know, totally turned it all around. Like, oh, no, it's going to be fine. They're, it's not really like that, Mary. You'll see. And so um, the next day... We, you know, Terry and I, we were trying to tag team this a little bit so we're not both there at the same time so we could still have our break. But I'm like, you know, something's wrong here. You know, it's, she was not like this. Right. <laughs> not like this at all. And so we went this the second day. Um, Terry and I were actually sitting there because I think we did go the same day, right, Terry, the second day? We went the same time. So we were sitting there um, and we were talking to mom, and she walked in, this nurse walks in, and she gives her a, a syringe. I remember it was pink, and it was full. And that I'm was like, a couple days later, but that's okay, sister. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have interrupted. So anyway, I um, was like, what is, what is that stuff in the syringe? And um, she's like, oh, it's morphine. And I said, well, she doesn't take that much morphine. She only takes five milligrams. She said... Well, we diluted it with water because it's concentrated. Okay. And I remember my sister Terry and I looking at each other going, that doesn't seem right. But I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to argue today. I'm going to try to be more more pleasant. I'm going to, you know, try to give this a shot. And um, they fed her. You know, she could barely keep her mouth open. She did have a few bites of fruit or something and that was about it in her chair otherwise she went back in her bed and she just pretty much slept let me say something about the morphine um because when you told me that i had never heard of that before so i did some checks on that and they do actually mix the morphine with a saline solution the reason they do that is so that when they inject it into the vein it does not hurt as much because it is not as concentrated but it has nothing but to this do was oral. with potency. They just they orally gave that to her. Yes. Okay, in a syringe. Okay, I thought you meant they injected it because they do mix it with saline to inject. But the thing is, if you, it's just like with drinking alcohol. If you drink, you know, twenty ounces of alcohol and you mix it with water, then you're drinking forty ounces, but it's still twenty ounces of alcohol. So it doesn't dilute the effects of the morphine so was it 20 milliliters that they were giving her at that time instead of the five is that what that was yes so it's 20 instead of five but it it did not make it less by putting water with it right so that's an outright lie what she said to you it's a manipulation that she was doing to you once again because they're they're literally trained how to do that so i'm sorry go ahead So then um, 
So then the next, you know, so that night we were like, okay, well, maybe she'll have a, you know, maybe we'll just try to see what happens. You know, at this point we're like scratching our heads going, this is not how it's supposed to be. And at this point it's just, we are like overwhelmed, you know, we're like, you know, and we're, we're wondering, we're so confused and perplexed. Like, what do we do? You know, what do we do with our mom? We, we brought her in here and she was talking and kind of smiling and laughing when she left and she walked out to the gurney. But yet she's not even coherent at this point. So was it that night, Terry, on Tuesday night that she um that she called you or that the second night wasn't it the second night that she called you and said, I want out of here? Called me that night later and she was crying and said she wanted to go home. So I got there at about six thirty that morning. Uh, thinking that it was, you know, I was taking her home. There was no doubt about it. I was just going to take her home. And I got there, and I said, okay, Mom, we are taking you out of here today. And she said, oh, well, they're trying to get my medicine. She goes, I don't know what they gave me, but I sure don't want to take that stuff again. And so the nurse came in to give her her morning meds, and my mother made her go through every single med that she was supposed to take, that she knew she took, and what she didn't want to take. And she said, I do not want any kind of drugs to make me feel like that again. She said, I'm, I'm not taking any of that stuff. And I said, that's fine. She said, and I said, well, are we going to go home, Mom? And she said, well, I'm going to let them get help me get my medicine situated. I said, okay, you're sure, because I can take you home right now. No, no, I'm fine. And that was that day. Um, and she did pretty good that day. Um, Because, you know, I was there, I think I spent most of that day there myself, and then I think Kim came back, or the niece came, one of the nieces came, but somebody came that day, and as long as we were there the whole time, she wasn't getting the drugs. They weren't doing it right in front of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But then from there on, something happened that I went home the next morning, I stayed the night with her, and I went home that next morning, and that Saturday we had company coming, um, her her sister-in-laws and my cousins and her brother were coming to see her that day. My mother always slept very lightly. You couldn't even drop a tack on the floor and she would wake up. Um, she was a very, very light sleeper. And that day that they were coming, whatever they gave her that night, we could not wake her up that day at all, not a bit. We tried and tried and tried. And again, I I go to the nurses and I said, what did you give her? And they were like, well, we gave her 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 morphine and um, the Ativan. And I said, why are you giving her so much morphine? This is not what she gets. I said, she gets five, five milliliters at a time. That's all she gets. She doesn't want the, you know, more than that. She's already, I mean, her, we talked. Before she ever went in, she didn't want all that morphine because she knew. She knew. Mm-hmm. And so um, it got to the point where it got pretty heated. Um, the, um, uh, what's her name? Social worker. The social worker, sorry. <laughs> the social worker came in, and then she went and got the doctor and one of the nurses, and they came down and had a powwow about it. 
and um, I was still was not happy. So I ended up coming, driving 40 minutes back to, to where we live and getting the syringe, which I had marked for my sister, Terry, because she's not a caregiver. She didn't know much to give her. And my chart, you know, I had a log of every time mom got her morphine and how much she got. And I ended up walking to the desk and I slammed it down on the desk and I said, to the charge nurse, and I said, this is exactly, because they were marking, they are like, there's no way you're only giving her five, milligram, five milliliters. And I said, yes, there is. I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm giving her. So I walked it, and I slammed it down on the, on the desk, and I said, look, I said, I have a mark, and her eyes just got big, and I said, and here's her charge. I said, I keep records, too. I said, she has never had this much morphine, ever. And so the doctor was just like, well, you know, she, she's dying. She goes, um, have you guys read the book, the book that you were speaking about in the very beginning of this? Yeah. Have you guys read that book? And I said, clearly, I looked at her and I said, you know, here's the deal. I, I've been a caregiver for a long time. I was a CNA before. I, I know what dying looks like. I said, she wasn't dying, came in here. And so it was a pretty heated pretty heated argument there for a while um then they were like okay well we'll just tone her back to five to five milliliters i'm like okay well that would be good and at this point you know mom can't even take a drink of water you know um, by herself she can't she I, I remember the nurse trying to hold it up to her mouth and i tried to do the same thing she would try to suck and she just this point she's getting weak you know she's just she's out of it <clears throat> she you know, um, really was out of it. And, you know, by the fourth day, Terry and I had tag-teamed it again, and we were there, and, you know, she she wasn't really coherent. She didn't really open her eyes much. She kind of opened her eyes a little bit when we talked to her and kind of looked around, and then she could go right. She was just so drugged up, you know. And, again, I'm like, you guys are giving her too much morphine, and they try to talk to try to talk down at me like I was stupid and I didn't know what I was talking about. And, you know, I made my mom a promise. I made her a promise. And I was sticking to my promise that I was not going to let them do that to her to over-medicate her. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, she had, you know, she was kind of out of it. But she was, you know, she was still holding her own. And so my daughter and my niece had wanted to stay the night that night. And I said, Okay, well, that's fine. And they went and they made her a beautiful little picture board, and they, they brought some blankets and some snacks, and and um, they call, ended up calling me at 4.30 on the morning of the 12th and saying, you need to get here. I think Grandma's dying. Hospice never called me. They were the ones that were supposed to call me. They never called me. No. Um, I don't understand why they never called me. Um they should have, you know. Well, the um, fact but is, you get a- with your nieces, you know, with your daughter and your niece there, had they not called you, you would not have gotten a phone call until the next day. Yeah. She would have already I mean, died, yes. Exactly. But I want you to go mm-hmm. back to something that you told me, that the nurse, not the nurse, the doctor told you about your mom signing up. Got my mom signing up. Yeah, the doctor. I'm thinking said, hard. I'm sorry. Okay. 
Well, because this this really irritated me, um, Kim. When I think Kim, when you told me this, that we aren't doing anything your mom didn't sign up for. Yes, that's exactly what they did say. Yes, I'm sorry. Forgive me. That's, that's exactly okay. what she that's said okay. to me that's why in I the meeting. That's why it got so heated because she did say that. Yes. We're not doing yes. anything that your mom didn't sign up for. Okay, so your mom signed up for them to overdose her, put her in a coma, so that she couldn't eat and drink. I mean, and, and this is last... what is totally ridiculous for insensitive for a doctor to say that. We're not doing anything your mom didn't sign up for. And in, right yeah. there you're saying you're overdosing my mom. You're giving her too much, too many drugs. I'm sorry. It just makes yeah. me so mad because they do manipulate and they boldface lie. They're liars. And they were... You know, and this doctor wasn't very, I mean, she sat down because she knew she was, you know, being unprofessional. I think, I think she caught herself because I just, my eyes just got big and I just kind of looked at her like, excuse me, you know, um, what, did, what did you just say? You know, and um, so she sat down finally because she was standing, she was standing there at this time and, and um, she sat down and she goes, look, she goes, you know, she goes, we're not here, we're not trying to kill your mom if that's what you're thinking and. And I said, well, that's what I feel like, and that's what she's feeling like. I can guarantee you this. She does not, I said, she does not want this medication. She knows what it does. She knows. Well, and, if they're not um, trying to, if they, their intent was not to kill her, then they are obviously in the wrong line of business because the amount of drugs that they were giving her was putting her into a coma. And if they are that ignorant that they did not know that, and if you, you know, if you, give her the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, she didn't know that, then she's in the wrong profession and she should be fired mm-hmm. immediately. Oh, because absolutely. We, mm-hmm. Yeah, we also, um, just to add a little bit, Kim, uh, my my uh, thing on it, when, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm trying to, um, when the night that I went and spent the night with her, I had this feeling at about 8 o'clock at night to go stay with her. Um, I just, something told me to go in there. So, I got there, and I walked in, and it was about 8.30, 9 o'clock, and my mother was sitting in this freezing cold room with windows open with a diaper on and her shirt and her head down with her oxygen out of her nose, wasn't even in her nose, and I don't know how long she had been sitting there. I marched back out. I went to the desk, and I said, why is my mother sitting in there in a freezing cold room with no clothes on, no, no blanket on her, and her oxygen isn't even in her nose? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I don't know. So they came in, and as I was standing there waiting for the nurses to help me get her dressed, I put my mom's nose, her oxygen back into her nose. I walked over to where the oxygen was. At home, the doctors had us giving her two and a half to three points of oxygen. They had my mother's oxygen meters, yes, turned down to one. And I turned it back up, and we got my mother dressed and, and clothes on her and stuff, and she said she had to go to the bathroom, and so I waited. I couldn't lift her myself. You know, at that point, my mom couldn't even stand, you know, couldn't even get up. She couldn't move. Mm-hmm. Um, she was dead weight at that point. But she said, Terry, I have to go to the bathroom. So I waited for them. They took their time and finally got in there, and we helped her go to the bathroom and then sat her back down. The nurse came in. 
and walked over to her oxygen and said, who turned this up? And I said, I did. Why would you turn it up? I said, because my mother is supposed to be on two and a half to three, not one. I said, one, she's not getting any oxygen. And I said, and how long the oxygen been on her nose that she's been starving for oxygen? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And she was not nice. She was very rude. Um, and my mother That's by then was... compassionate care. Yeah. I, I mean, I they have, say they don't cure, but they care. They provide care. They don't provide care. No. No. Not at all. No. I mean, they were no. never in there with them. And at one point, I think, Kim, you were there, and she's laying flat in the bed. Like This was like a day or two, like the yes, third day she was she there. Was. She's... So I, mm-hmm. I get there, and she's like laying flat in her bed. And, she, you know, from having stage 4 COPD, she needed to be elevated. My mom could not breathe, and she would panic right. because she couldn't breathe. And I knew that, and I walked in, and they had her flat. And, I I mean, I, I went, walked out of the room, and I just said, um, my mom is not supposed to be laying flat on this bed. She has to be at an angle because she cannot breathe. Oh, oh, we're sorry. We we probably um we had to give her a sponge bath. I think is what they tried to tell me, and um, we just forgot to put the bed back up, the bath aids. And I said, well, I said maybe you guys should put like a little chart outside of her door for them or something that says you know cannot lay flat. Because mm-hmm. she cannot breathe. And there was times I had to turn the oxygen up also because it was down. And the whole time, it it was literally murder by hospice. The whole time. Yes. I mean, yes. there is no right. question, no doubt about it in my mind. And, you know, it's just sad because what they try to portray and what they actually are are two totally different things. And shame on them. I would love to have had six more months, five more months, a month more with my mother. Yes. I feel you. I know what you're saying. And we would have. We would have had that at least. Well, they do. I I mean, if you don't sign up for hospice, your loved one will live longer. And there are other ways, you know, because your mom is being treated for her illnesses. She was getting oxygen. She was getting pain medicine. What is it that hospice could do that was not already being done? Nothing. Nothing. And was your mom, you know, going to die? Yes, at some point, a, you know, a week, a month, two months, six months, a year later, but not then. And no, doesn't no, a nurse... No, exactly. And I think, Kim, you were taking pictures of this, your mom not being able to wake up, and she's not able, obviously, to eat or swallow, and the nurse tells you what? The, or just tell you what, what you told me she said. She said, your mom came here to die. Yes, exactly what she said. Exactly what she said. Um and sorry about that. My phone kind of cut out for a second, so <laughs> I yeah. didn't hear you. Um, anyway, so, yes, that's exactly what the nurse said to me. She's like, well, she, she came here to die. And I'm like, no, she came here for respite care, you idiot. Right. You know, right. she came here so I could have a break, so my sister could have a break, because we needed a break so we could get everything together for her to take better care of her at home. And, <clears throat> you know, I'll never forget that. I mean, how that is so... It was just a cold, callous comment. 
You know, exactly. and where is the compassion in that? I mean, and after my, I mean, honestly, like I said before, I would not even send one of my dying farm animals to this place. I, I wouldn't no. do it. You know, had we known then what we know now, you know, but here I thought, okay, well, you know, they portrayed it off so great. And we thought, okay, she is going to have a nice, a nice little break. We're going to have a break. We're going to find that caregiver, Terry. We're going to get everything in order. And then, you know, you don't have to drive Claire out of your way. And, you know, I don't have to stress so hard, you know, and everything's going to work out so much better. And then to have my mom die on the day she was supposed to come home. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. know, I, if I can just save one life from having to, or one and one family from having to deal with this, then I've done something about yes. it. You've yes. honored your mother. Yes, that's exactly right. And you're honoring right. your um, mother tonight. Just telling your story is honoring your mom's memory. You can't bring her back. Unfortunately, no. we can't get justice, but we can honor their memory and try to warn other people about the dangers of trusting hospice. They lie. They manipulate. Absolutely I will say, correct, you know. Yes. If I uh, may for just a moment, when Absolutely. we were there, there was, two patients that I saw across the hall from us and they were this one man would get in and out of his bed and read his paper and by the next morning I mean he looked like nothing was really wrong with him and he'd wave over at me and by the next morning he was in his bed and by that night he passed away and he looked fine I mean Mm -hmm. I don't see how somebody can turn that quick to do everything themselves and reading and then just be in bed the next minute and gone um, it just, it's, it, it, you know, had we have known and not have been in shock over my mother, um, we would have probably been more, um, forceful with them about situations. And I wish we would have just went ahead. I wish I wouldn't have listened to my mother and went ahead and brought her home that day, no matter what you, they told her. Okay. You can't blame yourself for that because they are master manipulators. They literally go to class and are taught what to say to the family, you know, you you need to just let your mom go, and, you know, it's been hard on her, and she's in pain, and you just you need to let her go. It's her time. And they talk to your mother, which I'm sure that the nurse did, that you need to just, you need to let go. You know, your daughters have brought you here, and God only knows what lies they told her, that, you know, they, they know this is why you're here, and you just need to let go. You need to stop taking your medicine, and you just need to let us help you. And they lie. They manipulate people. That is what they get paid to do. They have no conscience. They do not care. They do this day in, day out, and just like the gentleman across the hall, you know, he comes in there, and one of the things that they told me about my mom because we were doing, you know, because you mentioned that you tried to get your mom to drink some water like the day or so before and you were doing it with Mm -hmm. a straw. We did the same thing and I was so excited. We were getting her to drink a little bit of Insure and the lady takes us, this Salaya, Nurse Ratchet, takes us across the hall and says that they rally. You know, a lot of times we have patients that rally and, you know, maybe they weren't walking, but they get up and they walk around and they seem like, you know, they're just fine and everything's going to be okay. And then the very next day they die or they die that night. It's what they call rallying, sweetie. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and, and so they will lie to you. You, we are not yes. prepared to understand their commitment to euthanizing our loved ones. They know exactly what they're doing. They turn them on the left side if if it's enough morphine's not working. They laid your mother flat because they knew she was having a hard time breathing. <clears throat> they turned her oxygen down or out yes. of her nose because they knew that would cause her to die quicker. It is all part of their plan. There is no compassion. There is no caring for it. It is straight out murder. And they know what they're Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know, if if I could just interrupt for a second because um I remember they're so good at this and the manipulation. I remember after Nurse Angie kept coming out, you know, a few times, I remember my sister Terry even looking at me going, Kim, I think you're in denial. I think mom's way sicker than what she really is. At one point, that nurse actually had my sister believing that my mom was worse off than what she was also. Yes, she did. Yep. And I because remember they can going, Terry, wait a minute, again... I was a CNA. I've been a caregiver. Let me tell you some things. You know, here's what to look for, you know. And we're, and we're trying not to have these conversations in front of my mom because it's my mom. Sure. You know, and, um, and you know, and, and we don't want to do that to our mom. You know, we love her. We don't want to make her feel uncomfortable. We don't want to, you know, but I remember um, Terry, t- we went outside and Terry's like, Kim, she goes, I think you're just kind of in denial. And I was like, like I looked at her like, who have you been talking to? And then I was like, oh, Nurse Angie got a hold of you. <laughs> and then, you know, it just, I never, you know, I, I didn't like the woman from the time she, you know, kind of walked in. She had that cold callus. It was just that way. And most of those hospice nurses in there, the same kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I don't know where they get these people at. I mean, are, are they burnout? You know, are they burnt out so bad that they just they turn their feelings off and they're just they just don't care anymore? It's a job. You know, I mean, they literally they get paid to kill people, and in order to have you know, and Marty and I have talked about this. In order to have a type of personality where you can go in and give someone enough drugs to put them into a coma where they cannot communicate with their loved ones, they cannot swallow, they can't eat, and they die from dehydration and the drugs that you're giving them. But you can do that and then go back, go home to your family, come back the next day and do it over again. There's something seriously wrong with these people. Yes. Seriously. I mean, absolutely, seriously. I mean, I, and I'll, I'll never forget, you know, my mom, you know, when I got called at 4.30 in the morning to, to go, I, I needed to go. And I called Terry and I said, Terry, we got to go now. You know, mom, this is it, I think. So Terry gets there before I do because Terry's closer. You know, I get there and Terry's like, Kim, I, I think it's going to happen soon. And I'm like, okay. So I think Terry was in the restroom or doing something and, I was sitting there, and the bath aids came in after a little while. And I'm, they're like, well, we're just going to give her a little bit of a bath. And I thought, well, maybe that will, you know, wake her up a little bit, or we'll see what, you know. I, I'm, but I'm thinking to myself, why are they doing this? And mind you, I'm in shock. I'm, I'm not even myself at this moment. You know, I've have, have all these feelings going through my head, and I, and I don't know how to handle any of this because I'm, I'm just in shock that this is going on. Right. So they walk in, and they're like we want to give her a, a sponge bath. And I said, well, I said, that probably would feel good to her to have some clean, a clean pajamas on. Cause my mom was a friendly woman always. 
you know, she was also very prude, you know, she, um, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to respect my mom's wishes. I'll just go outside. So I went outside and, and that's about the time my husband came and he got Terry and I, cause we were both outside at that point, And he's like, you guys need to come in. So we went in there and she, my mom passed away at 8.01 in the morning. You know, the morning that she was supposed to come home, she died because they killed her. Mm-hmm. They did. They, I wish and I could tell they had to give her a bath before she died for what? To yeah. make it look well, good? Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, here is a woman who, and they'll tell you that the hearing is the last to go, but here is a woman that is literally, you know, within 30 minutes, and you're going to give her a sponge bath. Leave her alone. I, I yep. just, I can't fathom. I do not understand. I do not accept what hospice is doing today. This is never no. what it was intended to be. And you know, like I said earlier, you, we don't need more states to to legalize euthanasia. It's happening. It's happening yes. in hospices. And for the people, the naysayers, who say, well, you know, I had a pleasant experience. Maybe you did, and maybe you just think you did, because maybe you weren't there to see it as it went down. Right. And especially during COVID, because people weren't there. And it's real easy to tell somebody, oh, your mom died peacefully in her sleep. Really? She was in a coma. Yes. And there's nothing peaceful about it. I mean, I think mm-hmm. at that point, and again, I'm not a doctor, but I think they hear what's going on around, right? And I oh, think yeah. at that point, maybe they don't really, there's not enough conscious there, I hope, I pray, that they don't know I'm being murdered. I think that they are in la-la and that it's happening, but I don't think that they consciously they know something's wrong, but I don't think they know they're being murdered. And if that yeah. gives you any, you know, breathe a little bit easier. Absolutely. I absolutely because agree I with you. I don't think they know. Yeah. We know. I don't think they know either. I think that, you know, I remember, you know, my mom, when she passed away, was very really peaceful. She kind of she kind of did lean forward a little bit, like she wanted to try to say something, or she would just you know I don't know if it was her body body's reflexes, but I mean it was it was very pretty much peace, peaceful you know and and um, I you know just sit there and think you know if I just would have just would have put it together and said I don't need that break my mom would have been alive longer. But you can't blame yourself for believing what people that we are taught. We are taught to trust them. We're taught to trust the medical profession, and we are taught to trust compassionate hospice. They have it in their name in most of them. They tout that. They say they're compassionate. You can't blame yourself for believing and trusting. You now know the difference. And you're not going to let it happen to anybody else. If there's any way you can help it to oh, happen, you're not going to no. let it happen. So it's, no, I, no I I'm not kidding. I had somebody recently say to me about their grandfather, and they wanted to. They were talking about respite care, and I said, "Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Before you do this, can I can I tell you something?" And I kind of told her my story, you know, here. I said, my sister and I went through this. He, You know, my mom was going to respite, and she didn't come home. She left in a body bag. I'm like, you love your grandpa, and her grandpa was probably 80, you know, 80-ish. And I said, and he was in fairly good shape. He just, she needed a break. And I said, 
honey, I said, don't do it if you love your grandpa. If you, She goes, well, I, I do love my grandpa. And I said, you want to see him again, don't send him to hospice. Exactly. I exactly. said, I will come help you. I said, I, I said, I will help find some caregivers for relief. I said, but you, I said, don't do it. And she's like, and she was just like, thank you so much for, you know, being honest with me. And I said, well, I said, if I can just stop another family from going through with what we've had to go through, then I've done my job. You know, mm-hmm. I just, yes. it's a terrible thing to have to witness. And then you stand there like your hands are tied and you're confused and your heart broke and you know they're telling you one thing and you're watching the opposite um with your with your loved one i mean they didn't have no chef there they didn't even have a kitchen i mean honestly they their kitchen was shut down when we were there wasn't it terry yeah they had like a little spot where they were microwaving or whatever but that's the thing is is you know there's so many things that kimmy and i noticed and talked about afterwards that you don't realize why it's happening because you're so you know, you're manipulated by them and you're just right. hurting, you know, you're in shock because of what's happening and things, you know, but, but after everything is over, you start thinking back on what they did and how they did it. And they manipulate you so well during mm-hmm. the process. Right. And after you find out, then you're left with the grief. You're left with the guilt. And feeling yes. like I should or shouldn't have done this, and that's not fair. That's that's not fair to the families. And you heard me talking earlier about what they say in their websites that you know they're there to respect the wishes of the patient and give support to the family. What a crock! Yes. Yes. They don't do any of that. They don't do any of that. No. I mean, it's I could sit here and just give a list of just beautiful lies about what I would do for somebody in a, in a um, you know, for job interview, and I could say mm-hmm. I could, you know, I'm a rocket scientist and make people believe it, but I don't have to do that. I can say anything to you, but then when the reality could come down to it, I don't do any of that. Yeah. And they well, don't. that's the whole they, thing. Yes. And, and they tell you, you know, for the um, respite care that, you know, it would be, you know, they talk to you, they say you'll get rest, you know, it'll increase your energy and, yes. you know, your outlook on life and you can go on vacation and, you know, we'll take care of them for a few days and they'll feel good. There's a spa that we'll do with her hair. Exactly. Did she get her toenails done? Did she get her hair done? Did they paint her fingernails? No. no. They immediately started putting her into a coma. These places Absolutely. should be shut down. They should be shut down. And and everybody who's responsible should be filed with charges of murder. Absolutely. Yes. I totally agree. And, you know, this is another thing, and this is kind of a funny, kind of a weird idea that I just popped into my head. But, you know, on hospice, and I don't know with your mom, but with, with our hospice here in Longview, they, um, you can write a, a tribute thing and their name on a little piece of paper and they have their walls are lined with it. Hmm. So I put my mom's name down and I remember as I was sticking it on the wall thinking another victim. Yeah. Because that's how I felt, you know, another victim on their wall Mm -hmm. because immediately I was just angry at them. And then I thought, am I angry at them? Because my, you know, because every grief, you know, you go through anger. Is that why I'm angry? No, I'm angry because, they did her wrong. They did us wrong. They did that. And yes. there is 
there is no way to make it, you know, this isn't going to bring her back, but I hope it prevents somebody, some other loved one and, and their family from going through what we had to go through. Mm-hmm. I, it's interesting. You know, I honestly you... do. And when I was walking out that day, and I'll never forget, after we did our prayer, the prayer ceremony and all the stuff that they do, and the doctor actually and the charge nurse pulled me aside and he said, you know, we just want to say a thank you and commend you because we've never had anybody advocate the way that you have so strongly for your mother, the way you tried to advocate for your mother. And I said, well, I made my mom a promise and I was going to stick beside it no matter what. And I tried and I still failed her. You did. You did. You did not fail her. You did. No, no, they failed her. You did not her. fail Don't her. Don't you dare mm-hmm. take on that burden, Kim. No. They failed her. Mm-hmm. They did, not you and not Terry. And but I remember thinking that man, there was a man, and I think I told you this, there was a man that was just checking himself in, and he was kind of fiddling with his bed when when um, we were leaving. And I remember looking over, and it might have been a couple of doors down from um, the man that passed away that Terry was talking about. But I remember looking over and thinking, God bless his poor soul, because he has no idea what he's in for. He's not coming out, and I knew that. Mm-hmm. Well, we you know, I just, down. I just knew that. The hall where my mom was was at, and you walk down and see the rooms. The doors are all open, and there's patients laying there with their mouth agape mm-hmm. because they're they're in a coma. They put them mm-hmm. all in a coma. They don't have to deal with them. The night shift comes in. Everybody's in a coma, and in three to five days they die. Which you know, why is it respite care? You know, three to five days because they can kill you within that time. Yeah. Um, and you were talking about putting something on the wall. You know, the piece of paper. The hospice that my parents were at, it just so happens that my dad had been a hospice chaplain at that facility for 15 years, 10 years Mm. earlier. So we thought my mom was safe, and I'm not trying to turn this around to my story, but I just want to point this out. We thought that that she was safe there because they knew how much he loved her, but because, you know, Dad had worked there in that office. They had this big tree in their um, atrium of their the office building thing, and they had these leaves on it that you would buy. You would pay so much for a leaf, and they had, you know, gold leaves, bronze, le- bronze leaves, silver leaves, depending on how much you paid. My dad's name was at the very top of the tree because he worked there, and he bought a leaf. When they first started doing this, he bought a leaf, and he put one up there. He put one up there for my his mother, and one was up there for my grandmother, and then there was a leaf up there for uh, my mom and dad, not in memory of, but in honor of. So we had about four or five leaves up there on the tree at the very top because we bought them when they first opened the tree. I contacted that hospice and told them I wanted every single leaf that my family had bought sent to me. They sent me all of those leaves. Now, I don't know if they replaced them because at that point they no longer were selling leaves because they had filled up the entire tree, so they didn't have leaves. I hope to this day that if somebody walks in, I hope all those leaves that were at the top are just missing yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, also, so, you know, my other thought is that, um, you know, I honestly thought 
maybe Longview was just a bad place for hospice. I thought, well, maybe, you know, it's just one of those, you know, maybe we just got a really bad one in this area. But, but, Mm -hmm. you know, after talking to many people on uh, the website, Murdered by Hospice, um, you find out that they're all the same. There's none that are any different. No. Sadly, you know. Well, the one that was different... In Canada, Delta Hospice Society with um, Angelina Ireland, in Canada where they euthanasia is legal throughout the entire country, and they shut Delta down because they refuse to euthanize people. And the United States is trying to become the same way that Canada is, and across the board, you know, except we are trying. They're trying to manipulate us into accepting that it's okay for euthanasia. Well, here's the problem with that. People can make that decision for somebody else. If you're making the decision for yourself and you're of sound mind, body, and thought, and whatever, you know, I don't make any judgment on what your decision is. But when you're making that decision for somebody else, it's called murder. Yes. Yes. It absolutely is. I mean, it absolutely is. And I you know, wish, you know, that nobody would ever have to go through what we've all had to experience. You know, we've all had to go through this. You know, it's absolutely Mm -hmm. heart-wrenching, heartbreaking, disgusting what these people do. Mm -hmm. And to hear it, you know, and when you hear it, you're hearing it time and time and time again, you know. And it's the same drugs. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, some people are in hospice longer because they do not require a lot of attention. And as we've said, you know, we've talked about it, your mom was sick, but that did not Mm -hmm. mean that was her time to die. And that certainly did not mean that they had any right to make it happen. So why not leave her alone? Why not if you did? When they do go to respite, and I I apologize because I meant to look this up and get the figures on this, but when they do go to hospice, an in-home hospice visit is one price. So, like, you know, $100 a day, and don't quote me on that. But when you go to the respite center, that price almost triples on how much they're getting paid for your mom to be there. They could have allowed your mom to be there for five days and – honestly let you do what you were going to do you didn't have a chance to contact anybody because immediately she went started going downhill and you were there one of you if not both of you were there every single day why couldn't they let you find somebody else to come and help your mom during that time to relieve you girls from that and then they, she could have continued and stayed on hospice. Why did they have to dope her up like that all the time? And when she was there for five days, why wouldn't they do what they said they were going to do, paint her fingernails, do her hair? They're still getting paid a whole lot of money for it. And then let this lady go home to her home and live as long as she can live. They're, you're, they're making money off of her. 33000 yes. a, a annual fee is what they're making. It's an aggregate cap. And if they've got 10 patients, they make that amount for all 10 patients. Why couldn't they leave your mom alone and let her live? And, and for any yeah, of the exactly. people. Yeah. I, I mean, for all exactly. of them, they get paid. Leave these people alone. And if they're not at that end stage, because, you know, they say, you know, enroll sooner so that you can take advantage of the benefits. What benefits? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. 
what? I mean, because you give somebody a shower and you might, you know, wash their linen. Okay, you're getting paid to do it. You're getting paid really nice money. My mom's, I think, her bill each month after they murdered her, all the bills came here, and I saw Medicare, and she, they got like $4,000 from her every month is how much they were making on her just, you know, by sending somebody there. She, they didn't give her a bath. They just, the nurse would come once a week, and that's about all. And mm-hmm. She would try to talk my mom into more pain meds, and my mom was like yours. She refused to take other drugs. But when they took her the 10 days, and we kind of stopped her drugs and they started them again, so that was a longer period. But they tried to charge for that period of time $35,000. They got kicked oh back. Oh, my gosh. But they wound up getting $8,000 for murdering my mom for those 10 days. That makes me so sick wow. in my stomach. It, it does. And it's, it's just you know, awful. It's, it's about yeah, the they money. need to be stopped. They, they need to be stopped. I mean, it needs to stop, you know, somehow, maybe somehow with everyone telling their stories. And, you know, I don't know how to go about it, but, boy, if, you know, could figure it out, it should be nice to try and stop them. Well, and there's there's also that, you know, there's laws, like I, I believe in California, isn't there, where it's right to death? So these right people can life. literally have... Oh, you're talking about euthanasia? Yes, but they, they can make the choice and call themselves and say, hey, this is what I want to do, and they have to sign the paperwork. You know, but right. at least they're not blindsided by it. You no, know, these people that's... want to die. Right. You know, which is that's a totally different topic. States. But nine states have but... that, plus D.C., that it is illegal. The thing is that your mom, my mom, and all these other people in hospice did not go into a doctor and say, I want to die. That's exactly no. it. And that's what happened. Absolutely. You know, so, absolutely not. You know, she was fighting so hard to live, such as your mom was, I'm sure. You know, she she's like, I'm not ready to die yet. And we're like, okay, no. Mom, you know, we're so proud of you. You know, you're doing so good. And she was getting up and going potty, you know, to by herself, you know, a lot of the times. Um, she mm-hmm. needed help walking because she was a little weaker. But you know what? She was doing it. She was eating yeah. good. She, she, you know, she, she didn't have the signs that she was dying imminently, you know, no. she had no signs when she, she didn't left. have the graspy time. breathing. She did not even have graspy breathing, nothing. I mean, well, I, I, mean, I literally have pictures of her getting, and I, and I can post these pictures, um, on the murder by hospice. I have pictures of her getting on the gurney, being loaded by the ambulance to be taken to hospice that morning. And then I have a picture. The last picture I have of her, I believe, is with my, with our aunt and uncle. Um, the day, day before she passed away, or two days before she passed away. The day before so she I'm, passed. No, two days before, I believe. Yes, two days before. She, but it was like a, a big difference. I mean, you could see like the coloring. She looks off. Um, mm-hmm. She could barely hold her head up in that picture. You know, it, it was sad because you know my. My my um, mom and my uncle are all each other pretty much has had, you know, for many years. So it's it, out of that side of the family. So they've always been close. And I know it was heartbreaking for my uncle because I, I, and I know that he couldn't hardly handle seeing her that way because he had talked to her on the phone. Like my aunt had called, like I think a, a few days before and she, before she went to hospice and she was, you know, she talked to her. So, I mean... Like I said before, 
if and I even my mom then, would go ahead. I'm sorry. If I knew then what I know now, trust me, you know, if I could have had five more days with my mother, a week longer with my mother, only God knows when it was her time to actually go. And shame on these people to hell for for taking her too soon because that's how I feel it happened. It, I felt like she yes. was taken before she was ready to go. Oh, yes. I agree. I mean, there is absolutely no doubt. You don't just turn from sitting up eating. I mean, she wanted Chinese food. She was planning on having Chinese food. You get there, and yeah. she's already drugged into a stupor. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and that's the thing, you know, when you – to begin with, I would never sign anybody up for hospice. I am anti-hospice all the way, all the way. But Me at too. that point, if you knew what you know and you went in there and your mom's drugged, then you immediately, and, you know, I think I posted in the group about Narcon, how you can give somebody Narcon. Yes. But I don't think, you know, your mom wasn't that far gone. But you get her out of there. And if that means you yep. call, you know, an ambulance, and you move her to the hospital, but we don't know that. We didn't yes. know then what we know now, and what we're trying exactly. to do to the listeners is to let you know what we now know so it doesn't happen to you and your loved one. Exactly. It, this is the most horrible, gut-wrenching feeling to feel that you failed. I feel I failed my mom, and, and I know in my head, I, I know, same thing that I say, you didn't. But I feel that, and I feel that grief, and I feel that I let her down. And we should never have to feel that because somebody else murdered them. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's. <clears throat> that's why I don't like to talk about it much because it, it bothers me. It's, it, it, it hurts my soul because I, I do absolutely feel like I failed my mom. I feel like mm-hmm. I, I put the gun to her head, you know, all yep. because I needed a break. And how selfish of me, you know, I should have just hung in there. Yes, you know, being a caregiver, but but Kim, being a caregiver, both of you and to anybody out there that's doing it, being a caregiver is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult, and you don't get a break, and you can't think, and you don't sleep because you get up in the middle of the night to check on them, and, you know, you're fixing. It's it's like having a child that you know is not going to grow up. That you yes. know, you've got to fix their meal and make sure that you know that they're eating this, and then you've got to go get their pills and make sure that they're swallowing their pills, and you know taking this, and then I've got to take you to the doctor. Well, you're doing this in the same time frame that you're raising children, that yes. you're walking your dog, that you're spending time with your husband, that you're working a yeah. full-time job, that you're taking care of your yard, that you're cleaning your house, you're doing the laundry. Caregiving is a difficult thing, and everybody can't do it because, you know, physical or certain things. But if you can't, then try to get somebody that comes in. And and if, you know, for my parents, we would have paid somebody. We had a girl that came in twice a week, April. She's an angel. I call her my sister now. I love April Jenkins. But she came in. We would have hired her for longer times. Yeah, And, you know, if it meant, we, you know, you had to put the house, you know, take money off of the house or, you know, second or whatever. But there are things that you can do rather than have hospice and look back. Or if you have yeah, a doctor absolutely. who will give you hydrocodone and, you know, so that your mom didn't have, you know, the pain that she was experiencing, you continue that way. You you figure it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. But you didn't you know, get and, 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 
I just don't want, you know, like you said, nobody else should have to go through what we've all had to feel. You know what I mean? What we've had to feel, what we've had to go through, you know, what our loved ones have had to go through because, you know, it is the worst feeling, you know, in the world to think I failed. You know, I failed. Yeah. I It was one of their last wishes. I failed them. You know, um, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible person. You know, um, there's so many emotions that go behind this, you know, because it is your loved one. It's, you know, it's, it's our parents, or it could be somebody's husband or sister or brother or or child, Child you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, whoever it could be, but, you know, nobody should have to deal with what us three have had to deal with. It's absolutely just criminal what has happened. You know, and right. then sitting there with your hands tied, you know, you're like, okay, what do I do here? You know, they're not good enough to go home right now, but, you know, maybe we could get her loaded up in the car and do I, do I take her home or do I leave her here? And now she's so bad off, you know, she's, she's probably going to die anyway now, you know, um, because they have made her that way. Right. You and know, how far, um, how far can you go before your body starts yes. shutting down? Exactly. And so, I mean, we don't know, you know, has the harm already been done? You know, yes. how much harm can be done before you can reverse that? And and at that time, you know, we, I didn't, and I'm sure you didn't know about Narcon and how you could reverse the, um, the overdose of the drugs, but it's, it's just, it's unconscionable that they do this. It's yes. premeditated murder. And if they, yes. the nurses do not know that that amount of morphine, whether they mix it with water or, you know, with coffee or whatever, if they don't know that that's going to kill the person when you give it to them and then you give it to them another four hours later or they start doing it every two hours and then they're adding Ativan and putting a fentanyl patch on, all of this, if they do not realize that it's overdosing a person and killing them, then they are in the wrong profession. If they do know they're doing it, they are murderers. Yes, yes they're evil people, Absolutely. evil humans. I mean, I could not imagine trying to be caring for somebody and killing them at the same time. I mean, where's the <laughs> not a normal person, you know? No, not exactly. Not a normal and, person. You know, I mean, I that one. There was one gal that had worked there for like. What was it, Terry? Fifteen years. I'm like, how how can you do this for fifteen years? Yes. I couldn't do it for a day. You know, I worked in a nursing no. home, and it was, you know, it was heartbreaking Marty? at times. Yes, Marty, do we, we have, have a caller? caller yes. Okay. Area code eight three. You're live and on the air. Hello, okay. my name's Hello, my name's Michelle. Um, I just want to call in and let you know that I worked for hospice for several years, and. It is heartbreaking. I want you girls to know, have a chance once hospice got a hold of you. They are a well-oiled machine. And with everything family members are going through, you've got that news, you've got the emotion, you're trying to take care of your mom, you trust the system. Well, the system these days, it's just broken. And you had no way of knowing that. So please, do not carry that guilt. You did the best you could for your mom with the knowledge you knew at that time. What I would ask, though, for every listener is to put in a call to action. What frustrates me more than anything is to listen to Marsha and Anne Marty, her show, Guardianship. Both shows are equally important. 
that what they're doing to our elderly, our disabled, and it doesn't matter how much money you have. You can be poor. You can be rich. You can be someone living on the streets, or you can, I'm going to use Britney Spears as an example. You can have all that money. Or uh, Casey Kasem is another one. We have to get the word out, and I'm going to ask every listener of this show and of Marty's show to get 10 people to tune in to Marty's next show and to Marsha's next show and get okay. them to listen and just that's okay. all I'm going to say. Thank um, you so, so very much. much. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a good evening. All righty. You, you too. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, that's Michelle Dewars who wrote the book Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. I bought that book. I have okay. the book. It, it's an excellent mm-hmm. book, and she's speaking from knowledge because she was a she is a former hospice therapist because she could not deal with what they were doing, and she walked away from it. She's a whistleblower, and she stands firm on what she's saying, and indeed, she's telling you it's a well-oiled machine. They knew what yeah. they were doing mm-hmm. to you. Oh, yeah, definitely, and you know, her working there and knowing, you know, and having somebody like that that says, you know, hey, I worked for them. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. You know, I hope the listeners out there are paying attention to this. You know, pay attention to it because it's real and it happens. (laughs) And it's happening a lot. And a lot of loved ones think that they're, you know, having a break or getting to do this or do that and think, okay, well, and that's exactly what they told us. Well, you can go do this, or you can go do that, and you can let your hair down, and you can relax a little bit and find that caregiver and take a deep breath. And that's what I thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had no idea that Carrie and I would be fighting for her life, and we didn't nope. even realize we were doing it at the time because they're so good at what they do. Yes, they are. They are. Sadly, I mean, they, they, they literally, and Marty went to a um, – a volunteer hospice um, group of people where they literally told her that, you know, they, they gave them the information of what you should say to the family and what you should say to the patient. They train people on what to say to make people well, accept that it is over. I don't know if she's tuning in with us here, but they yeah, do train them. Yeah. Go ahead, Marty. That was quite an experience, and this has been probably 10, 12 years ago, and I thought I would do volunteer work, you know, see what I could find. And so um, I had gone to this. It was like an intake program, and there was a registered nurse standing up there talking to everybody, and there was quite a few of us in there. And she says, now what you have to understand is you have got to convince the family that this is the right thing to do. And she said, and you tell them things like, which I heard this when they killed my sister here two years ago. She forgot how to swallow. She didn't forget how to swallow. Yes. You drugged her up so bad she can't. Yeah, and exactly. They tell, yes. And um, they tell them all kinds of, all these different things. You don't want them to suffer, do you? Do you? No. Yeah. That's why I want to get them away from you. I don't want them to suffer. Um, yeah. It, it actually turned my stomach. I had to get up and leave. I thought, I can't, wow. I can't be a part of this. I cannot be a part of this. And um, other people left also. 
it, it was disgusting. What they were promoting this whole, and you hear this stuff over and over in these cases. Uh, they forgot how to swallow, which is such a stupid statement to make to begin with. Yes, and I agree. To repeat it over. And over. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Marcia. No, I mean that's. I wanted you to come on. Thank you, Marty. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, it's insulting for people to lie, bold-faced lie to you like that. And at the time, we don't realize it. But when we look back, and you look back at all the things they said to you, you just—I mean—you just want to shake them because it's yes. like you—you you lied to me the whole time. I trusted you, and you lied, and you took my mother away from me. How dare you? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and remember, that's what I told you—that if I ever saw that nurse Angie again, and I'm not a violent person, mind you, at all. But if I ever see her again, I'm going to punch her right in the face. That's, you know what I mean? That's what I want to do. I mean, mm-hmm. I am I am so angry with this woman. She's an evil, sure. heartless, very lying, evil. You know, well, person. I live three yeah. states away, so the likelihood of me running into them is minimal. However, I will say that um, a year after my dad moved in with us because he couldn't live by himself, he moved in with us and lived with us for four and a half years, and he sent them a letter. I got a card. He wanted to send them a letter. He sent them a card, and he said, remember this day and remember it well, the day you murdered my wife. And he put the date on there, and being that he was a chaplain, you know, very religious man, very Christian man, and he put, you know, in the Bible, the scripture in there that says, thou shalt not kill, and you broke God's rule. And we sent it to him, and I addressed it to the three nurses that we felt like were most responsible, and we sent it to them. And I'm sure that it kind of was gut-wrenching because he had worked with two of them, and, you know, they thought they had a relationship and that, you know, that he didn't blame them. Well, yes, he did. When I got the records and he saw what you had done to his wife, oh, yes, he blamed you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So. I think it bothered them, but that's not enough. That is not enough. They they need to, uh, you know, and I, I'd, I guess I'll have to wait until they, you know, go before their maker and stand there, but I would rather something happen to them now. I don't oh, yeah. have forgiveness in my heart for these people. No, no I don't I agree. Not one person that was there. I I just don't. You know, and I, I have normally I am a very, very forgiving, loving person. And at this point with these people, I have none. You know, none. I, I have nothing but anger, you know, and bitterness. You know, they, they robbed us. You know, mm-hmm. they, they robbed did. us. And of what time you had with your mom. Yes, yes. and there could and have I been a lot more. Nobody else goes through this. You know, that nobody else loses a family member before they're ready to go. You know, God knows. God will choose when it's time for them to go. Hospice shouldn't be. It's not up no. to them. No. It's up to God. It's not, their, it's not up to them. They're not God, and they don't have a right, but they have been given the right to murder, and that's just and wrong. And it's just awful. It's wrong. So, it's just awful. wrong. No, it is. It's premeditated murder. So we have Definitely. Um, two minutes left. Are there any final comments you'd like to make? Just that I just I'm wanna, very – go ahead, Kimmy. I am just – I just wanted to say thank you to Marsha, you, Marsha, because, you know, getting her story out, I hope, like you said, helps somebody else from having to go through this. 
And I hope, you know, nobody else, I mean, I, I wish they could shut hospice down and get rid of them and nobody else would have to do it. And all these nurses could go to prison and because they're murderers, you know, the doctors, they're all murderers to me, you know, yeah. um, after what I witnessed myself, and I'm very passionate about it because I had to deal with it, such as my sister did, such as you did, you know, and people that haven't been through it, they probably won't understand, but you would if you had to. And I hope that nobody else has to go through what we've all had to deal with. So that's all I have to say. And I hope that us being on here saves one family and one life. Then we will have done our job. Yes, thank you for both of you for coming on. I appreciate you being sincere and honest and open and willing to share your story. A lot of people aren't. I don't understand, but a lot of people aren't willing, and I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Well, thank you, Marcia, very much. Well, thank you for coming on. In two weeks, we have Diane Melendez coming on, and you've talked about how, you know, you want to, punch the lady out and I understand it um, and in this particular case uh, the lady who's coming on in two weeks she actually did take action against one of the nurses <laughs> who said a very foul thing and um, she didn't her. care if she, if she went to jail or she said you know call the police go right ahead I'll stand here and wait till they get here and tell them what you just said so mm-hmm. it yeah, that's kind I'd of like an to interesting hear that program story. yeah that's coming up in uh, two weeks I believe the 14th of November and she will be on, and um, it's kind of shocking. But um, and I met, actually met her through an attorney who was on my program um, several months ago, or earlier this year, and that's how I met Diane. So she contacted her attorney, and her attorney gave her uh, my information. So we are getting oh, the wow. word out. Um, it, it is happening. So we just have to continue to spread the word. And now that we're on Amazon Podcast and Spotify and Podvine, Apple, Amazon, I think I said Amazon once before, Pandora. Anyway, um, Marty and Kaz have gotten us picked up on a lot of platforms. So we're hoping to get the word out. More people hear us. Good. So. Thank you, ladies, for coming on tonight, and thank you for our listeners. Thank you, Michelle, for calling in, uh, and thank you, Marty. So we'll see you in two weeks. Have a good evening, everybody. Okay. You too. Bye-bye.